0: Letter 101 of Pamela, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Davis. Pamela, Volume 2 by Samuel Richardson. Letter 101 My dear Lady G. The remarks, your cousin Fielding says, I have made on the subject of young gentlemen's travelling, and which you request me to communicate to you, are part of a little book upon education, which I wrote for Mr. B.'s correction and amendment, on his putting Mr. Locke's treatise on that subject into my hands, and requiring my observations upon it. I cannot flatter myself, they will answer your expectation.' for I am sensible they must be unworthy even of the opportunities I have had in the excursions in which I have been indulged by the best of men. But your requests are so many laws to me, and I will give you a short abstract of what I read Miss Fielding, who has so greatly overrated it to you. The gentleman's book contains many excellent rules on education, but this of travel I will only refer you to at present. You will there see his objections against the age at which young gentlemen are sent abroad, from sixteen to twenty-one, the time in all their lives, he says, at which young gentlemen are the least suited to these improvements, and in which they have the least fence and guard against their passions. The age he proposes is from seven to fourteen, because of the advantage they will then have to master foreign languages, and to form their tongue to the true pronunciation as well as that they will be more easily directed by their tutors or governors. Or else he proposes that more sedate time of life, when the gentleman is able to travel without a tutor, and to make his own observations, and when he is thoroughly acquainted with the laws and fashions, the natural and moral advantages and defects of his own country, by which means, as Mr. Locke wisely observes, the traveller will have something to exchange with those abroad, from whose conversation he hopes to reap any knowledge, and he supports his opinion by excellent reasons, to which I refer you. What I have written in my little book, not yet quite finished on this head, relates principally to home travelling, which Mr. B. was always resolved his son should undertake before they entered upon a foreign tour. I have there observed that England abounds with curiosities, both of art and nature, worth the notice of a diligent inquirer, and equal with some of those we admire in foreign parts, and that if the youth be not sent abroad at Mr. Locke's earliest time, from seven to fourteen, which I can hardly think will be worth while, merely for the sake of attaining a perfection in the languages, he may with good advantage begin, at fourteen or fifteen, the tour of great britain now and then by excursions in the summer months between his other studies and as a diversion to him this i should wish might be entered upon in his papa's company as well as his tutors if it could conveniently be done who thus initiating both the governed and governor in the methods he would have observed by both will obtain no small satisfaction and amusement to himself for the father would by this means be an eye-witness of the behaviour of the one and the other and have a specimen how fit the young man was to be trusted or the tutor to be depended upon when they went abroad and were out of his sight as they would of what was expected from them by the father and hence a thousand benefits may arise to the young gentleman from the occasional observations and reflections of his father with regard to expense, company, conversation, hours, and such like. If the father could not himself accompany his son, he might appoint the stages the young gentleman should take, and enjoin both tutor and son to give, at every stage, an account of whatever they observed curious and remarkable, not omitting the minutest occurrences. By this means and the probability that he might hear of them and their proceedings from his friends acquaintance and relations who might fall in with them they would have a greater regard to their conduct and so much the more if the young gentleman were to keep an account of his expenses which upon his return he might lay before his father by seeing thus the different customs manners and economy of different persons and families for in so mixed a nation as ours is, there is as great a variety of that sort to be met with, as in most. And from their different treatment, at their several stages, a great deal of the world may be learned by the young gentleman. He would be prepared to go abroad with more delight to himself, as well as more experience, and greater reputation to his family and country. In such excursions as these, the tutor would see his temper and inclination, and might notice to the father anything amiss, that it might be set right while the youth was yet in his reach, and more under his inspection than he would be in a foreign country. And his observations on his return, as well as in his letters, would show how fit he was to be trusted, and how likely to improve when at a greater distance. after England and Wales, as well the inland parts as the sea-coasts, let them, if they behave according to expectation, take a journey into Scotland and Ireland, and visit the principal islands, as Guernsey, Jersey, etc., the youth continuing to write down his observations all the way, and keeping a journal of occurrences, and let him employ the little time he will be on board of ship, in these small trips from island to island or coastwise, in observing upon the noble art of navigation, of the theory of which it will not be amiss that he has some notion, as well as of the curious structure of a ship, its tackle and furniture, a knowledge very far from being insignificant to a gentleman who is an islander and has a stake in the greatest maritime kingdom in the world. And hence he will be taught to love and value that most useful and brave set of men, the British sailors, who are the natural defence and glory of the realm. Hereby he will confirm his theory in the geography of the British dominions in Europe, he will be apprised of the situation, conveniences, interests, and constitution of his own country, and will be able to lay a groundwork for the future government of his thoughts and actions if the interest he bears in his native country should call him to the public service in either house of parliament with this foundation how excellently would he be qualified to go abroad and how properly then would he add to the knowledge he had attained of his own country that of the different customs manners and forms of government of others how would he be able to form comparisons and to make all his inquiries appear pertinent and manly all the occasions of that ignorant wonder which renders a novice the jest of all about him would be taken away he would be able to ask questions and to judge without leading strings nor would he think he has seen a country and answered the ends of his father's expense and his own improvement by running through a kingdom and knowing nothing of it but the inns and stages at which he stopped to eat and drink for on the contrary he would make the best acquaintance and contract worthy friendships with such as would court and reverence him as one of the rising geniuses of his country whereas most of the young gentlemen who were sent abroad raw and unprepared as if to wonder at everything they see and to be laughed at by all that see them do but expose themselves and their country. And if, at their return, by interest to friends, by alliances or marriages, they should happen to be promoted to places of honour or profit, their unmerited preferment will only serve to make those foreigners, who were eye-witnesses of their weakness and follies, when among them, conclude greatly in disfavour of the whole nation or, at least, of the prince and his administration, who could find no fitter subjects to distinguish. This, my dear friend, is a brief extract from my observations on the head of qualifying young gentlemen to travel with honour and improvement. I doubt you'll be apt to think me not a little out of my element, but, since you would have it, I claim the allowances of a friend. To which my ready compliance with your commands the rather entitles me. I am very sorry Mr. and Mrs. Murray are so unhappy in each other. Were he a generous man, the heavy loss the poor lady has sustained, as well as her sister, my beloved friend, in so excellent a mother and so kind a father, would make him bear with her infirmities a little. But really, i have seen on twenty occasions that notwithstanding all the fine things gentlemen say to ladies before marriage if the latter do not improve upon their husbands hands their imputed graces when single will not protect them from indifference and probably from worse while the gentleman perhaps thinks he only of the two is entitled to go backward in acts of kindness and complaisance. A strange and shocking difference which too many ladies experience who, from fond lovers, prostrate at their feet, find surly husbands trampling upon their necks. You, my dear friend, were happy in your days of courtship and are no less so in your state of wedlock. And may you continue to be so, to a good old age. Praise your affectionate and faithful friend, P.B. End of Letter 101